Hey everyone, this is Abby Martin. You're listening to the audio version of this episode, which you can watch at youtube.com slash empirefiles. Palestinians, only human when described as human shields. Those are the words from a poem by Saul Williams. Saul is an icon of the slam poetry movement, who's also gained prominence as a writer, musician, and an actor. He's published several poetry books, released a new album every couple years since 2001, and among other roles, he starred in the groundbreaking Broadway musical, Holler If You Hear Me. And in 2021, he co-directed and wrote the highly acclaimed film, Neptune Frost. Saul, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today on The Empire Files. I'm a huge fan of all of your work, your art. I'm just incredibly honored that you took the time to talk to me today. Well, thank you. Um, It's a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I'm a fan of your journalism. Um, I'm a fan of your work. Um, And I'm a fan of your voice and spirit. And uh, and yeah, these are extremely dire times. And um, and yeah, so... It's, it's nice to take a moment and, and, and talk. Absolutely. Thank you. That That's incredible to hear that. Let's just kind of catch up on where we are in the world with the genocide unfolding in Gaza. Um, since October 7th, you know, Israel has killed at least 15,000 civilians. I would say that the number is much higher than that, but that's what's confirmed. Thousands more trapped under the rubble, tens of thousands left injured. of the population is internally displaced, nowhere to go. All the safe, allegedly safe corridors are being bombed. Snipers are set up to snipe those who try to return to the north. Um, As we know, every allegedly safe shelter that Palestinians can seek refuge in are being targeted and demolished. You have not minced words about what is going on. You are a longtime critic of U.S. foreign policy, Just talk about what you've been feeling, I guess, just seeing this high-tech genocide unfolding while the so-called rules-based order in the international community is not only supporting it, but blaming the victims for their own slaughter. It is horrendous primarily beyond the the so-called politics of it that, that, you know, we're witnessing these people try to do what, you know, what they got away with in 1947, trying to get away with that in 2023. And the thing about technology is that, you know, it it's not binary, but it, it certainly goes both ways. So that on one hand, we can talk about the surveillance and weapons technology and all this type of stuff, but we are holding technology as well. And we have an ability to see exactly what they're doing, we have the ability to fact check them on their every word as they say it. We have the opportunity and the ability to to run what they say against what we see and call them on their hypocrisy. And they, they being the powers that be, are honestly not prepared for um, what we are witnessing. And so when we feel and, and experience, you know, our government and, and, and the powers that be responding so differently from what the obvious majority of not just the population, but of the world 
wants to see. We are being told that our voices don't matter in the same way that we are being told that Palestinian lives don't matter. And so we are seemingly at, at a crux where, you know, in the U.S., here we are with, with a, a Democrat president who has chosen to be complicit in a genocide. And let me just be clear. One, um, I don't believe that the powers that be are going to win. You know, I believe in a free Palestine and I believe that we're going to see it in our lifetimes. And what is horrendous is that there are people who do not recognize or worse yet, who do recognize their complicity in a genocide, you know? And so um, on one level, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the people that we tag in our, in our tweets and posts, you know, the, the, the President Bidens and the, the Secretary Blinken and, and, and you know, uh, what's his name, uh, McGurk, and, you know, all these different <laughs> people that play roles within uh, the government. But it's also having tremendous effects on our, um, on our careers um, and also on our friendships and our relationships with our families. Um, because how in the hell can you not speak up and acknowledge what's going on? So, Well, exactly. I mean, you bring up so many salient points. Uh, you know, first of all, just the sheer levels of hypocrisy coming from a Democratic administration, masking all of this in humanitarianism, which is just frankly absurd and outrageous when you have Secretary Blinken up there just lying. I mean, all of them are just lying because wow. as you clearly articulate, we have the ability to see what our eyes are showing us and they're telling yes. us, don't believe your lying eyes. No, this yeah. is not genocide. No, Israel's not targeting civilians. And it's so, it's like the least we can do is bear witness to what Palestinians are forced to show us because exactly. they have to, because we have um, leaders in the Western world denying them even that agency, their own reality of being massacred. Yep. And so we have to bear witness to what is happening, Saul. And it kind of, I mean, the whole dystopian nature of this really does harken back to your film, Neptune Frost. It's an incredible film. I recommend everyone to check it out right now. As soon as you're done watching this, go watch it. It's amazing. And there's so many sci-fi themes that are explored in this, but it's also set in the backdrop of something that's very real, which is cobalt mining. Um, mm -hmm. And you mentioned something that really struck me, which is that these minerals are so expensive because the cost is what you're paying not to see. You know, mm -hmm. apply this kind of theme in Gaza today, which is this high-tech advanced civilization that is overlapping with this kind of medieval barbarism. And especially when, to your point, um, you know, Israeli authorities and Western leaders have had the luxury of not having social media advance to the point where their narratives can be challenged for so long. And that's flipped on its yeah. head today. So there is this kind of like Orwellian nature of the narrative that 
we're being told one thing, but we see something completely different unfolding, and it, it it is very dystopian. It is, and 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 you know, you mentioned Neptune Frost, and and so many people have have as a result of what's going on, you know, in Palestine have. have you know, said, hey, you know, let's not be selective in, in what we're focusing on. Let's focus on what's happening uh, surrounding Colton and cobalt mining in places like the Congo, in, in Central and Eastern Africa. Uh, let's focus on what's going on in Sudan. Um, you know, all, all of these things that are that are coming to a head, right, as, as a result of what we are focusing on. And, and you're right in that, you know, in the past, you know, we, we have paid high prices for Apple, Samsung, all of this stuff. We pay not to see, you know, this 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 history of exploitation, right? And it's a long history of exploitation. I mean, it's, you know, people want to talk about technology, um, but it's not technology. I mean, how many of us are, are it's not just technology. I mean, how many of us, you know, are, are so clear on stuff like, oh, I can't start my day without coffee. And it's like, do you want to talk about where the coffee comes from? Do you want to talk about where the sugar you put in the coffee comes from? You're talking about oil in the car, but do you want to talk about the rubber for those tires? Because then we can talk about another genocide that happened in the Congo that, you know, that's never been really spoken about. Um, do you want to talk about the chocolate that, you know, you're a chocoholic. Where does the chocolate come from? You know, like... All of these things have, you know, including the diamonds, the gold, you know, not just the coat and cobalt, the, the uranium. I mean, like when the, when the U.S. bombed um, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, 85% of the uranium in those bombs came from Nigeria. So we've been exploiting the continent of Africa. We've been exploiting black and brown people for not just the entirety of our lives, but for the entirety of practically Western civilization as we know it. Right. And so. Palestine symbolizes something because of the fact that, one, um, you think of that moment of 1947, 1948, the birth of, of those two apartheids at that time, right? The apartheid in South Africa and the apartheid in, in, in Israel, um, in occupied Palestine. Um, you think of what also happened at that moment between you know, it's also the English in that in, in India and, 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 and Pakistan. You think of what also happened at that moment in North and South Korea. It's all the same moment, right? Um, someone pointed out yesterday that, that 1948 is also the birth of the CIA. Um, it's you know, like all these things. Are, A lot happened. Really, hello. <laughs> all these things are born in the same moment. What's crazy about that moment with, with Occupied Palestine is that, you know, it is a moment when many African nations and nations around, you know, from the British and European empires are on the cusp of finding and voicing their independence. And so for them to thrust the Palestinian people into that experience, then um, in many ways was already a long shot. I mean, and, 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 you know, there's a documentary called Tantura. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, um, but it talks, you know, that many of the people who, who participated in the massacre at Dar Yassin and what have you are still alive. And they're, they're, they're interviewed in this 
documentary and these stories of of the, of the Nakba and and what happened in in Palestine in, in 1948 um, are are obscene are are, are violent and. Um, and there it was enacted in, in what's taught in schools and in, in, in Israel and what have you. It's you know it's also something that's not a pain not to see, but it's a selective memory of, of of choosing not to tell the truth. You know, so so there's a connection between choosing not to tell the truth, uh, that selective memory, and then paying not to see. You know, the minerals and the stories behind the minerals in our technology and. And yeah, Neptune Frost is very clearly about the fact that the there is a an observation to be made between the fact that our digital and technological advances are based on extremely analog forms of exploitation. So that, you know, in the same way that when you click on something, you know, that you order from Amazon or Uber Eats, you want to imagine that it's all tech. And so tech is preparing the package and tech is delivering it to your house, but in fact, it's underpaid workers, right? And we know that. We've seen the fight against unions and the fight against unionizing. And we've also, we've also begun to see these unions winning. And that is also connected to what we're fighting for in relationship to Palestine, right? All of these things are connected and they're all coming to the forefront right now. Um, and so... Yeah, it's a wild moment. It's a wild <laughs> moment where, where I guess, on one hand, we um, many people are waking up and realizing that if if another world is actually possible, this is the moment that we have to actually like clutch things and and shift it, shift gears. Um, but then comes a question of what that means, right? what that means and and what will we have to live through? How many of us will have to die? Um, all of these questions in order to bring about that very necessary change that connects, you know, um, capitalism to patriarchy, to white supremacy, to extraction, um, to anti-colonialism, um, to climate change, right? It's the intersection of so many struggles today and it symbolizes so much and you bring up such an important point which is like we're, we are at this precipice in history with environmental changes with climate you know the catastrophe of climate change and and we know that we have to change the way that we live we we know that we can't consume like this on a finite planet and we're being told that no this isn't about indigenous issues this isn't about anti-colonialism it's about anti-semitism and it's it's ahistorical and it's offensive and it's an insult to our intelligence to erase and wash away all the context behind what is actually going on, especially when you have it being heralded by Democratic leaders. I, I just, I can't stand the contradictions of Democrats on one side of their mouth saying land acknowledgement, I mean, or just anyone. I mean, yeah. well-intentioned yeah. people, yeah. right? Talking about land acknowledgement, talking about Indigenous Peoples Day. And then at the same Hello. time, erasing what is going on and trying yeah. to pretend like this is not what this is. I mean, violent, bloody conquest happening real time. Yeah, this is such prescient information and, and, and such a prescient topic. You know, um, 
especially when we when we talk about that that growing sense of awareness that Americans have in relationship to indigenous rights and, and to the land back movement and 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 yes you see sometimes these performative gestures uh, but but also you know like the, I I I sometimes I say the performative gestures, but I also acknowledge that they're real gestures to learn, right. like the land right. that you're on, and 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 who peopled the land that you're on, um, you know, and 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 learning to acknowledge that might not be very different from learning to address your non-binary friends as they them, you know, like it's the same shifts in a, in a way where we have to just acknowledge that that the world is 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 not binary, not finite, that, that, that there are, you know, a uh, quantum realm of, of, of experience in reality, but there's also um, indigenous truths. And of course, if we are to get closer to, you know, like respecting the land and respecting climate and all that stuff, then we, we, by nature, we're going to get closer to those indigenous truths, right? And, and yes, Palestine... Um, I think is is on the tip of our tongues also because of that, because of the fact that there has been a an evolution in terms of, you know, for years I, I used to um think when I first started writing poetry, I would think, you know, like you're not really gonna get a new world order without new words. Like we we have to uh, continue the process of naming things and acknowledging things and what have you in order to further the conversation. And it's true that maybe 15 years ago, it might be, you know, me and my friends, I've been to Morehouse College, like a traditional historic Black university. Like we talked about white supremacy in, in the 80s and 90s, but it was very hard to talk about white supremacy in front of white people. They just were not prepared to have that conversation. You know, but now we can talk about white supremacy. We can talk about intersectionality. We can talk about bell hooks. We can talk about Octavia Butler. We can talk about all these things, and people have a working knowledge of like, oh yeah, 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 right, anti-blackness. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's also, you know, a form of technology because we're able to go further into the conversation without explaining the first point, right? And that is also clear, for example, I mean, and that's clearly what upsets, upsets, you know, this, this hypocrisy and this Hippocratic, you know, um, group, whether it's in the Democratic Party or, or, uh, you know, in the Zionist community or what have you, where they're like, you know, like offended at the term of like settler colonialism, like, how dare you? How dare you? This is not that, you know? And, and there's an offense at, at the terminology itself. When the terminology is factual, Actually, the terminology is factual and it may be difficult. It may be difficult to to accept that the same way that like some of my, you know, Christian friends of color might have difficulty thinking of Christianity as a tool of colonialism, you know, and they get very defensive like, hey, 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 not mine, not my Jesus. Wait a second now. I'm not ready for that discussion. Well, if we are to progress the dialogue, we have to get into these discussions, regardless of how uncomfortable it may make you, right? And um, and so it's true that these discussions have done us a great service um, in the fact that we we have these working terminologies now that we can apply to what what we're witnessing, 
And that's the sort of thing that's like, um, that we see, like, that's why I'm so excited about Generation Z, for example. Like, I spend time on, on TikTok, and I see you on TikTok. Like, I see people sharing, you know, your your work, your documentaries, what have you, on TikTok, you know, like excerpts and what have you. And, and they get it. And they understand it. And it's been weeks now. It's been weeks. It's been, it's been over a month that... Generation Z has been like, oh, no, 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 I get it. There's no such thing as two sides. Forget that both sides-ism. This is the oppressor. This is the oppressed. And they have funny, clear, smart, bright, brilliant ways of making these points, right? And I'm like, okay. On one hand, we could acknowledge that the powers that be, the the, the, the hypocrites in office, you know, have, have certainly lost the, the war of the narrative even though they keep pushing this misinformation, right? Um, Trying to shift the discussion um, while an actual genocide is occurring. And that is the discussion, like ceasefire now. That is the discussion. You and I talking right now, like the discussion is ceasefire now. Then we can really discuss, (laughs) right? But to to have the leisure to go into all these different angles is is one thing. But for those of us who, who, like you said, the least we can do, is amplify these voices and to stay focused and to stay present um, with our Palestinian peers who are living through um, these these crimes against humanity right now. Um, it's 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 done us a great service to make the connections between these worlds and to use utilize these terminologies and to utilize the technology to bring you know kind of truth to power. I mean, you have Israeli government officials lobbying state legislatures across the country, and they've already preemptively passed all of these anti-BDS laws that say that you have to pledge fealty to a foreign country, and it, it completely undermines our First Amendment rights. I mean, it is absolutely stunning with all the talk about Russian infiltration, Russia controlling our government. Look... Israel, there's a lot of Zionists, a lot of Christian Zionists in our government. You don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist. That's been made explicitly clear by people like Joe Biden. And it's so shocking to see how much they have preemptively tried to usurp the tide of justice that they know is coming and undermine that and conflate anti-Semitism with Zionism. And it, yeah. it's worked in droves, especially for the old guard and the corporate media and, and Western leaders who have a very, it, it's very stark of a contrast between Gen Z and millennials, like you said, with for the sure. believability and trust in these institutions and they're failing and they're distrustful. And, and we know that they don't speak on behalf of not only Americans, but humanity, of course. But right. it, it's... It's crazy when you look at just the landscape of how much has been impacted and and how much the stage has been set almost for what's coming. It's like, I mean, this has been a trope forever, the the evil racist Arab, um, the terrorist, uh, even before 9-11 and then after 9-11, it took on a whole new character and villain. And we've, it's almost like the stage has been laid for just the complete annihilation of the Palestinians for decades. And it, it's just it's just a matter of like normalizing that idea and to see it escalated to the fact that, you know, two months in and we're just all watching this. Like, what what is the breaking point? That what you mean what is the breaking point? What's coming? Yeah. Yeah. 
do you, do you think that we have the agency to stop this? I think that all of the direct actions, I mean, I have to have hope and I have to ha remain optimistic for my own sanity and for the sake of like my brothers and sisters there um, living day to day under what is happening. I have to. And I do have hope looking at the arc of history and I do have hope in direct action and um, the consciousness shift. I know it can happen very rapidly and it is happening very rapidly and it is working to a certain extent with representatives declaring ceasefire, you know, because of all the direct actions happening in their offices, in their homes, we need to keep up that momentum. But Saul, a Palestinian friend of mine, brought up a really important point. He was like, look, the blood, once enough consciousness happens, once this spreads enough, where enough people are aware of the nature of what is going on, there, all the Palestinian blood will have been shed. Like there's not enough of us to cause these shifts in consciousness and mass awakenings every time there is such an egregious massacre every couple of years or something horrific happens to the Palestinian people. He's like, then a lot of people wake up at how many of us need to die before yeah. you realize it. And I do. So that's always been, you know, that's all. That's the resounding question in in every genocide that has occurred. How many of us have to die before you see it? Um, it's 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 always been it's always been the question. And 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 it's funny because for me, I don't I don't really play with hope too much, right? I I I, I remember reading the Tao Te Ching at one point, and there's a there's a statement in the Tao Te Ching that goes, uh, hope is as hollow as fear. The master keeps her feet firmly planted on the ground. And of course, when I think of those feet firmly planted on the ground, I think of the indigenous relationship to that ground and trust that there is an inevitability to these, you know, shifts, not only in, in awareness, but in justice and 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 people taking the rightful positions and governance and what have you but yes it is a very real question of how many must die in order to achieve this and we've always asked these questions right whether it's um you know whether it's artists looking at the 27 club whether it's <laughs> whether you know we're looking at the activists that we wear on our t-shirts you know um how many sankaras how many lumumbas how many it's always been the case that these great thinkers and connectors who could have helped us um take shortcuts you know through time, um, were murdered. So you mentioned language. This is such an important facet of what's going on to dehumanize Palestinians. The language being used to justify this racist violence. Um, you have an album called Martyr, Loser, King. Palestinians describe and honor their dead and those who are killed as martyrs. And of course, that's also used to dehumanize them further by saying that they actually glorify and love death, that they worship death by, you know, the likes of people like Sam Harris. What is your response to that? I mean, what, what does that word mean to you, the word martyr? 
Well, you know, I began working on that album when I was learning about not just Colton and Cobalt, those those mines, you know, in, in the Congo and in Central and Eastern Africa, but I was also learning about e-waste camps um, and, you know, the phenomenon of these village-sized village sized communities where our tech waste goes to goes to die or goes to be scavenged, you know, where you have piles of motherboards and piles of towers and keyboards and all this type of stuff. And, and it was very early in the conceptualization of Neptune Frost. And the question in my head was, the question we raised earlier, how many of us have to die in order for things to shift? When will we no longer need to have martyrs or be martyred in order for justice to prevail? That was the question with Martyr Luther King, actually. Um, So I, I, I... go back to the conversation that you said you had with your Palestinian friend of, of how many, you know, and, and, and the idea that I was playing with in that story was maybe this is, I mean, that's why it's fiction, right? It's like, maybe this is the last martyr. Maybe this is the last one. Maybe, maybe we no longer have to, die to prove these points but i mean we've i mean within the past few weeks we've had people self-emulating you know in in the congo uh in atlanta um for these causes um setting themselves on fire choosing to martyr themselves martyrdom is 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 a reality it's I mean, I don't want it to be a necessary reality, you know? But when I think of someone like, let's say, uh, George Floyd or Elijah McClain, you know? Um, When I think of all of the, let's say, um, you know, Black trans people that have been murdered, just people that have been murdered and as a result, sometimes, of those murders, um, the conversations that have been furthered. And of course, those results are also rooted in technology, right? I mean, when we talk about Emmett Till and the civil rights movement, it has so much to do with the technology of the time. Right, is the fact that so many people had new technology, televisions in their living rooms, and suddenly could see the treatment of African Americans, for example. They could see it in their living rooms, people being sprayed with hoses and beat by police, and see it in their living rooms and go, holy crap, that's us with our phones right now, you know? Those injustices had been going on for years, for decades, for centuries, much worse than fire hoses, by the way. The fire hoses were there because of the cameras. 
<laughs> right? Um, if the cameras were not there, then it would have just been ropes and guns like it had been. Um, and I think of, of maybe Till and, and her decision of like, no, 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 no. I want people to see. I want people to see. So the technology of martyrdom is a thing too, so it seems. Although death is death, and although it is, yes, a, a gracious part of the cycle of life, um, there is no reason why, there is absolutely no reason why all of these people, some people fixate on the children, and yes, we can do that. The number of children there, it's crazy. The number of women there, it's crazy. The number of men there, it's crazy. The number of people murdered, right? It's what we're forced to acknowledge and what we're also forcing them, the powers that be, to acknowledge in this time. It's how we know that, we'll, that they will fail. They will fail through us. They will fail through the people that are on the ground, that are sharing their stories, that are sharing their voices, that they weren't counting on, you know? That whose stories travel way further than than Israelis dressing in blackface and 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 and, and dancing like you know uh, so-called you know Arabs or, or, or waving Israeli flags in in in, in movie theaters um, as they dance to Beyonce or what have you. Um, we are working to lessen the martyrdom. So it's not the fact that we want it. No one, no one is trying to be martyred. You know, we're trying to live. We're trying to experience life. We're trying to dream of beautiful futures for our children. We're trying to bring about a change in society and governance that reflects all that we understand, all that we know, all that we've learned and continue to learn and leave space to learn and to correct our wrongs. I mean, I don't know about you, Abby, but, you know, I've lost friends <laughs> in, in this current moment. Um, I've lost friends who who have attempted to both privately and publicly both sides this equation, you know? I have associates who I could have guessed, but I didn't really know were Zionists who, who you know, would say things, but I'm left, I'm anti-occupation, I'm this, I'm that, um, but I'm listening to the Israeli left and I'm like, Okay, you're listening to the Israeli left. <laughs> you're listening to the Israeli left over actual Palestinian voices. That's like saying, like, <laughs> I'm listening to the abolitionists, the white abolitionists, but I'm not listening to the slaves. Like, are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? <laughs> For real. I mean, like, I, I mean, like, you know, I'm angry. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point of naming names, but I'm not. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like, but, but. These are people, some of these people are in high positions. 
who say stuff like this out loud, upset, upset that the is that that more of us on this side of you know they consider people like me and you extreme. Well, for the longest time, they wanted to pretend like there was a substantial left in Israel that would change the government. Um, and we, we know, Saul, I mean, no matter what the foundation of Israel was, I mean, we know it was based on violent settler colonialism and violent expulsion of the native inhabitants. But over time, it's become increasingly fascistic. Netanyahu's administration is not an aberration. Polling reflects this. I've done interviews with Israeli citizens. They are openly genocidal. There is no hiding that. It is very crystal clear what the nature of Israeli society is. I'm sure there are leftists there. A lot of leftists and anti-Zionists leave because they can, and it's very hard to be part of a culture like that. I do remember clearly um, my interactions with white South Africans during the apartheid era, white South Africans who were my age. When we had a white South African student visit my class in, in high school, um, and, and I prepared questions, you know, about the 4,000 students being held in detention in South Africa and about the, you know, Sharpsville massacre and, 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 and about, you know, Nelson Mandela and all this stuff. And, and, and it wasn't even that the dude was in denial. This teenage South African kid, like, was literally like so wrapped in his privilege and what have you. He was so really like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, that's, that's not in South Africa. <laughs> he was so like, like, this dude really doesn't know. Am I supposed to believe he really doesn't know? One more point about the language, because you are such like a brilliant linguist and poet, is just how language has become a weapon in this. How on one hand, you have people tone policing pro-Palestine demonstrators saying, don't talk about free Palestine, don't say from the river to the sea. You have actually, you know, protests in Germany, France, tone policing, like, or even banning protests saying, no, this is anti-Semitic, da, da, da. You have the whole discussion about whether or not this is genocide, how that's no. too loaded of a term. Meanwhile, no. you have historians and Israeli scholars on the Holocaust saying this no. is a textbook case. And then you have the swath of corporate media, passive voice, um, talking about Palestinian deaths to dehumanize them um, and, and not talk about, obviously, the openly genocidal rhetoric coming from Israeli ministers and cabinet and media figures. And so you have these headlines coming out. There's so many examples. There's too many to count. I mean, just yesterday, the Washington Post talked about that horrific crime, right? That was the foundation of us going into the Gulf War babies being ripped out of incubators. This is happening. Babies yeah. were left to die in the NICU yeah. from invading Israeli soldiers. And the Washington Post's headline on this, four ended. fragile Life lives, ended. four fragile lives found ended in evacuated Gaza hospital. What in the fuck is this? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, there's a huge avoidance of, of truths and of facts. It is frightening. Um, it's as frightening as it is. It would, it would be silly if it weren't so dangerous. You asked me about language. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's really all I can respond to. <laughs> From the river to the sea, I can't say that. Okay, stop. Like, okay. 
really, we all know all this shit, right? We know we know right, what right. the leaking anthem is. We know that they're like from the sea to the river, <laughs> you know, like like you know, like we we know that that that, that they're out of their minds, you know, with this shit. Um, it, it's, I know it's it's almost like what can you even say about it? I mean, I guess I just want to throw this at you because. Israel touts itself, you know, a lot of progressives or, or well-intentioned people who support Israel and who are Zionists look at that propaganda effort from Israeli society to show not only are we LGBTQ friendly, but look, like here's photographs of Ethiopian um, Israelis <laughs> with Arab Israelis and European Israelis, like Ashkenazi Jews, and we're all holding rifles, and we're such a diverse crew. How could we be a racist apartheid state, right? And then you have, um, you know, like when I was there, I mean, I went to refugee camps in occupied Palestine that were Afro-Palestinian, right? They, they want to erase Black Palestinians, actually. They don't want to talk about Black Palestinians that are living under oppression. I went to refugee camps out in the middle of the Negev Desert where they hold Eritreans and Sudanese um, refugees who they're trying to deport because they don't want Africans assimilated exactly. in society. We know about the Deprovera given to Ethiopian Jews. I went to anti-refugee rallies within Israeli society. There is a strong anti-Black racist fervor within Israeli society, but to, projected to the Western world, look, th this is a huge tokenized group of people, especially the Ethiopians who they brought over there. I guess, what is your response to that notion? Well, I'm, I'm aware of it. You know, this is the thing. I was starting to talk about the friends that I've lost and all that and the personal calls that I've got from people that have felt betrayed. And the fact of the matter is that I feel so betrayed. I feel so betrayed by many of the people close to me who are like, you know, like, I've stood with you. I marched with you and da, 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 da. But, you know, you can't grant me this one little apartheid. Um, it's horrendous. It's horrendous. And, and yeah. I mean, what what can I say to that? I'm I'm aware. Um, this here's something you know. When we talk about this misinformation thing and the the, the push that that has been happening, you know, now um, I know you're very aware of, of how much you know they've trying to shift the discussion to talk about rape mm -hmm. and mass rape, right? Um, by Hamas and ignoring, of course, anything that the IDF or that happens in Israel or whatever the fact that the fact that there's that Israel is actually I didn't even know right that Israel is a, is an actual refuge for sexual oh, predators. Yeah. It's a safe space for them. Like I had no like the stuff that we've learned <laughs> over the past few weeks is crazy. <laughs> you know. It's, I'm like, oh my God, like you guys were not ready for the magnifying glass of, of social media and, and, and research. Like it's all there. Like there's articles, there's amazing research and articles that's all out there, guys. Like, are you kidding me? So anyway, and, and you know, who, who am I to be in a position to say, to, to, to say whether these things happened or didn't happen, you know? I do know that that a lot of the ideas I had about October 7th when I was sharing, you know, information and people were like, dude, you're sharing propaganda. I know that like 
89% of that propaganda right now has been proven by even like Jewish newspapers, you know, Israeli newspapers, um, you know, these, the, the, whether we're talking about the Apache helicopters and the burning, you know, like the Hannibal directive, all this type of stuff that we're like, hug, <laughs> you know, this is crazy. We're not believing this because we'd rather believe it. It's just, these guys are horrible liars. They, They've confessed, you know, it's like when the guy confesses on the news and he's like, well, we lowered the number because we realized that 200 of those people burned were Hamas. Were, were right. It's like, okay. So then you're saying that, you're not saying that they burned themselves, did you? Like, obviously you're saying that you did burn some people then. Okay. You know, so all this stuff is is out there and it's just the mythology yeah it's the mythology right. that they rely on to to create this kind of racist fervor and hysteria about the brown right. palestinians who are the mass rapists we saw the same thing right. with so, gaddafi right. soldiers so and 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 black people i mean during slavery they wanted to rape all the white women so that's right? the thing that's the thing is that it left me with the thought of like okay you're trying to shift the conversation to this as if to say that that would some, somehow make this genocide justified. And you're giving me very Mississippian motivations here. That's, that's, that's what I'm left with. I'm left with Mississippian motivations. And what I mean by that is, okay, Emmett Till, why, why, why did things go down with Emmett Till? Things went down with Emmett Till because it was said that this 14-year-old boy whistled at a white woman. He what? The sanctity of white things that women, he was going, oh, oh. You know? Well, I mean, how did the Tulsa massacre go down? It's the same exact thing, right? A black boy in an elevator that's rumored to have said something to a white woman. These are not, you know, singular cases. They're were so many, 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 many lynchings and murders that happened as a result of lies. And yes, this is something that's projected in, in the Middle East as, as this idea of, of this Arab rapist, which um, beyond being offensive, is a trope, right? It's a trope that is used as a justification. Um, and it's like I said, this is not denialism on my part. Even, even if there are cases, it does not justify a genocide in any way, in any way. Um, so there, there is a underlying sense of racism, um, anti-Arab, anti-Palestinian, um, that we understand through our experience of anti-Blackness. That, um, yeah, that's scary. That's scary. Like you see Hillary Clinton, like there was a great deal of sexual violence, and I'm like, was it? <laughs> Isn't your husband on a plane with Epstein? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, no, it's it's 
There's Gazane Ma- Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein at Chelsea Clinton's wedding. It's like, what in the hell are you doing out there? Oh, I, I mean, and, it you is know, I beyond. Mean, Maxwell's lawyer. Maxwell's lawyer was who? Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of weird connections to the Mossad. Yeah, her father's attorney was um, Blinken's stepdad, the guy that raised Anthony Blinken. What? Oh, yeah, look it up. Oh, my God. The last name is Kizar. It's, um, he, he's a survivor of the Holocaust. Um, sounds like an extraordinary man, um, an extraordinary person. But yeah, he was the, and rumored to be the last person that spoke to her dad before he fell off of that expensive yacht. Um, oh, right. That was very strange. The hypocrisy is staggering when you have someone like Hillary Clinton going out there pretending to care about sexual violence when her husband was on Epstein's plane more than anyone else. I mean, it's pretty amazing, Saul. I, I, I don't, I, you've given me so much of your time. I have to ask you this. I mean, you, you're such a prolific artist. You've, I mean, your, your body of work is so extensive and incredible. You have done so much for not only the Palestinian cause, especially of late, but you've been such an outspoken critic of U.S. foreign policy. You know, we are living right now at such a historic moment in time. And I step back and look at the entertainment industry. I look at so many people that I, you know, I, I, whose music and art that I love. And I think, why are you not? speaking out. Yes, I know that there are repercussions. There's a lot of threats floating around. There's a chilling effect. But still, right now, I mean, do you have humanity or not? Like, what is going on here? It's shocking to me that not more people are speaking out. And I guess I just want to know, I I mean, obviously, your entire past and who you are compels you to speak. and, and, And that's why I respect you so much, Saul. What do you think about, like, you know, BDS, you mentioned what hope is there um, to have avenues of change right now. A lot of Palestinians are calling for boycott, divestment, sanctions. I don't think that it's realistic to go and boycott and, and take Microsoft down. But I do think that the cultural boycott and isolating Israeli artists and also isolating Israeli society by by boycotting playing there, I think that that is something that we can do to name and shame people oh, who are participating in this apartheid state. What is your opinion on BDS and any last thoughts about, you know, avenues for for changing this? Well, I, I think that I think that, you know, boycott and divestment um, plays a major role. Um, like I said, I do remember the apartheid movement. I do remember that my family, when I was a teenager, was boycotting um Coca-Cola, anything that was owned by Coca-Cola. We were boycotting Reebok. We were boycotting Shell Gas. Um, We were boycotting anything and everything that we learned was invested in South Africa. We were also boycotting a lot of products that came from Israel at the time um, because we knew that Israel was one of the main supporters of apartheid era South Africa and that they were serving as a proxy um, for South African goods, um, including diamonds and gold and what have you. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was then. And, and I do think that part of the reason why the apartheid, um, you know, regime came to an end was because it became too expensive to keep it. Um, so I do think that, um, the, the role, the role of, of boycotting and, and people divesting from, um, you know, 
specific companies. And, and I, 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 I like the leadership of, of the BDS movement in terms of them pointing to the types of boycotts they're asking for and, and what have you. I think that for the most part, they're pretty level-headed, you know, in terms of what they, what they say, like when they say something like, hey, look, Beyonce and Taylor Swift, neither one of them have ever agreed to perform in Israel, and we thank them for that. So now we're just asking that pull their films from, you know, and there's, there's, I think that there's a, I think there's, there's great strength in that. And, and I think when you talk about it on the cultural side in terms of arts and artists and what have you, I think that's important because then that will help a new generation of Israeli kids that look to these artists, try to understand why, why they're opposed to going to Israel, at some point, they're going to have to acknowledge that it is clearly not because they're anti-Semitic, that it has absolutely nothing to do with that, you know? But we are anti-apartheid, that we do want to see a free Palestine. And just because you've been raised being told that you are surrounded by enemies who want you dead, doesn't mean that it's true. And the fact of the matter is that there's going to be a huge necessary growth and turning point for Israeli people, you know, who at some point in the future will have to live alongside, um, you know, Arab, Palestinian people, and they will have to acknowledge that they've been lied to. Um, and they will have to acknowledge that they, you know, it's, it's the same thing that I imagine people in Mississippi, white people from Mississippi and, and the South had to go through after emancipation where they, where it's just like, uh, you know, and we know the history of that. It's layered. It's crazy. We, my wife is Rwandan, and you mentioned Neptune Frost, and I, I spent a lot of time in Rwanda, um, both with survivors and also with, once again, a majority of youth who are mostly twenty-five and under, meaning that they are the generation that came directly after and, and are either survivors as babies who have been orphaned. I mean, this is the cast and crew of Neptune Frost I'm talking about. Every single one of them is directly related to this atrocity in in, in recent history. And any time and every time that this happens in human history, there is great growth and also kind of technological advancements in how you grow through and from these instances so that there, for example, yes, the people now are living side by side in a way that we are going to need to see this happen. In Israel, there are templates, existing templates that we can learn from if we were to acknowledge that there are other genocides that have occurred and that we can learn from what they learned through their survival. I have found 
what I learned from just my proximity, extremely enlightening, extremely inspiring. It's part of what led to the story that we chose to tell in Neptune Frost. There is so much growth and change that needs to happen. Yes, in Israeli society, in the world, our leaders have to acknowledge that. I mean, you have had these years of democratic leadership kind of like looking down at the progressives in the Democratic Party. Right? Like, you guys will learn. And now we see who those progressives are. And in the case of someone like Bernie Sanders, we see who those progressives aren't in terms of are you condoning the genocide or not? Are you playing by the party line or the human line? Because it's not the same. And fuck everything else. What a disappointment. What a horrendous disappointment, right? Um, so finally, I'd say in relationship to what you were leading to in terms of artists who speak and who don't speak, I speak for myself when I say, you know, identifying as a poet is already a kind of, in a capitalist society, it's, it's, it's already a form of resignation. Like, what are you going to fire me from? <laughs> <laughs> Language. Um, <laughs> my feelings, my observations, like, what do I have to lose? A lot, but, you know, playfully, um, you know. I'm clear on the fact that there will be a great deal of apologies coming. I'm clear on the fact that, yes, a lot of artists do feel compromised, you know, but they played the game of compromise from the beginning of their careers, you know, just like I did not play that part of compromise from the beginning of my career. So I'm not necessarily shocked. I am saddened. Saddened because I do think that some of these artists have enormous platforms and a great deal of power to even affect popular opinion. And in some of these instances, I'm like, wow, it means so much if you just signaled, like when Bjork did, <laughs> you know? You know, when Bjork is like, is this sharing? <laughs> like, go Bjork, fuck yeah. You know? It means something. It means something. Um, just like it means something when, when you know, I have, I have Israeli fans who feel like let down, like, I thought you were so cool. Now look at you. <laughs> and, um, it's weird. It's also like, it's weird because you're like, really? Like, you couldn't understand that I would be anti-apartheid? It's a teaching moment. It's all, it's a, it's, it's a very 
big moment where I think history will judge us all. I mean, right yeah. now it's it hard to see. Moment. It, yeah, it will be. Right now we need this to stop. Right. We need a permanent ceasefire right now. We need the U.S. to understand that it is not their position to choose the next generation of Palestinian leadership, (laughs) that no one is asking them to do that, and that they are in no position to do that. And neither is the Israeli government to choose Palestinian leadership. And then there's going to be a huge teaching moment because, you know, You just have to look at viable solutions, you know, and, and, and apartheid is just never the answer. And so you have to question the viability of, of you know, an ethno state. All of these things, you know, like um, I know what happened when apartheid ended in South Africa. I know that Afrikaners were not massacred. I also know that they ended up with a new flag. I know that it didn't necessarily mean that all problems were solved. There's still, you know, crazy government and all types of power struggles and all this type of stuff. It doesn't stop the evolution of humanity and of how we govern ourselves and and fight for better and better means of understanding and honoring what we learn as we go. But we have to learn as we go and we have to honor what we learn as we go. Exactly. What we're being asked asked to condone right now um, by, by the U.S. government, by the EU, by the U.K. is hypocritical and, um, and genocidal. And yes, as the scholars have said, in the most textbook way. And the Israelis are not denying it. And we, yeah, and I will finish this conversation. I will pick up my phone. I will look at all of these Palestinian photographers and people that I follow. And I will cry and post and share and boost and continue to question and challenge um, the powers that have the capacity to stop this, which the U.S. government does, um, to stop this until they do. And we won't stop them. We will go and fight for a free Palestine and and we will hold a mirror up to these motherfuckers who who try to throw you know these these tricks in our way of focus on this or you're anti-Semitic or they're like no 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 <laughs> do you want to know what somebody who's complicit in the genocide looks like right right we have to learn. From history, we have to let history instruct us and guide us through our actions today. And that means learning from genocides in the past, being instructed by how apartheid needs to fall, how it was forced to fall in the past, Saul. Mm-hmm. And we can't stop fighting until not only Palestine is liberated, but all peoples are. Thank you so much for so much of your time, for your incredible insight. Thanks. And for your eloquence, Saul Williams uh, couldn't 
can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank I really you. appreciate it's it. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks Free Palestine. So much. Free Palestine. Free Palestine.